Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in uh, just a few minutes, going to be joined by Caden McFarland, sports director out at KJRH in Tulsa, the uh, NBC affiliate out there. He'll uh, join us as uh, we'll talk National Signing Day. We'll talk, uh, you know, obviously about the college football playoff and a little Thunder basketball as well with uh, Caden coming up here in uh, just a few minutes from right now. Joining me as always is uh, Thomas Bridges, who's uh, with us. Tom, as we wrap up 2018, which is crazy to think about that, the year is already almost over with, I think of the two biggest positives, the best things to happen in 2018 were the fact that we got the great song Mo Bamba and that we got the Philadelphia Flyers mascot Gritty. Like, to me, those are the best things. If you had to put 2018 in a nutshell, it'd be those two things. Maybe so. I guess I don't really have a two best things of 2018. I do like Mo Bamba, and I like that everybody gets hyped to it, especially, you know, just kind of being an amateur DJ here and there. Uh, it is exciting. always have to drop that in there. Uh, I don't know about Gritty, though. Uh, You're not sold on Gritty? No, maybe not. I don't know. What do you not like about Gritty? I I, I mean, I wouldn't. It's not that I don't like him. I just wouldn't call it best of 2018. I guess I'd have to think about it. Let me think, and I'll give my two best things of 2018 towards the end. But we're on the same page on Mo Bamba, though. I do do like Mo Bamba. And, and, you know, as it gets played out, it, it might be like another Adele song that gets played out and then I end up hating it. But for right now, I, I enjoy it. Oh, yeah. I'm all in on Mo Bamba. I think Mo Bamba, it is. And like, I can't understand half of it. And yet like, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it is just an anthem. It'll go to a whole crowd of people just singing it. And when you cut the music off and everyone's still singing it, uh, it's just, Almost as good as it's almost as good as when they do that with Mr. Brightside. They might as well make Mo Bamba the national anthem at this point. I would, I would. uh, Can you imagine that? You know, do you think Colin Kaepernick would kneel during Mo Bamba? I think that's how we can have diplomacy and uh, and peace in this country. Yeah, just change it right to uh, everyone has their hand over the heart when he when you start with (laughs) I got hoes. <laughs> Call it. <laughs> oh my gosh! I think that would bring unity to this country if Mobile was someone like doing it like opera style, or like you know, choir style. <laughs> yes, I really do think a choir should sing that. Oh my gosh! Wouldn't that be amazing? It would be. I am all in. Let's make Mobile the national anthem and bring <laughs> peace to this country. And I, I got to tell you, Tom. So. Back at the uh, KU game at the Sprint Center uh, a couple of weeks ago when they were playing New Mexico State, when uh, Tom texted me at halftime and said, what what the F is going on with KU right now? Uh, <laughs> during that game, I I noticed that the band, Tom, was playing, you know, typical band songs, a couple of, you know, the same old tunes that they play every single week, uh, even with, you know, the modern music or whatever. Um, but it felt like something was missing, and I'm like, you know what? They need to play Mo Bamba. And so I tweeted out, and I made a point uh, for a couple days that, hey, 
the band or at least the athletic department, whatever, like needs to find a way to work in Mobamba. In the very next game against Villanova, Tom, what do you know? They played Mobamba. KU was was down at the time they played it. And then they went on a ten to two run and took the lead and won the game. I do not find that a coincidence at all, because that place got hyped immediately and KU started playing well. I think that Mo Bamba was the reason why KU beat Villanova. You know, I could totally see, uh, in, I'm, I'm going to probably butcher this here. Oh, no, I remembered it. Midnight in the Fog, they should have Sheck West next year. <laughs> yes, yes. It's they late really night should. Late night in the Fog. Close, though. Late Okay, midnight, late night, close. I got close. Um, yeah, you know really what they should do, and I looked it up um, while I was searching different versions of the song, uh, the band, like the actual marching band, should really just learn the song. I, they would be way better. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? They broke that out. They didn't say, as long as no one said a word, They didn't. no one said, hey, we're learning Mo Bamba. No one said, we're about to drop Mo Bamba at the next game, like in the marching band. And they just just played it. They didn't. Isn't that what marching bands are for, is to play the stuff we like? Yeah, they really do shit. And, like, OSU play has never been to Spain, and that one's always, that always is a hit. Uh, For a while, bands were playing Uptown Funk. That was cool. Um, But, really, they should start playing Mo Bamba. I think there's a few, like, southern schools that really get into, like, the, the marching band, like, the art of dancing and, like, marching, like, I don't know, kind of like uh, Booker T does. You know how good their band is. Their band is stupid good every year. Uh, when they come to Bartlesville to play, I always try to make it a point to go watch because even like home opponent, when they play at away games, their band is so good that they're like, yeah, let your band go out and, and do their thing, which I think is awesome. Oh, yeah. That's that's so dope when, uh, when they do that. <laughs> I, I would imagine – that like Booker T, all they need to play is Mo Bamba, just like on a oh loop. Oh my god! Just keep on going with uh, Mo, with Mo <laughs> That's Bamba. Their new fight song. It it is the song of a nation. Uh, we are all hey, Mo you Bamba. Just change the rock chalk into just I got hose. I got hose. Yeah. At, at the very least, th- this is what I find so funny about this, Tom, is that this is about a guy that went to UT for a year and played okay, and now plays for the Magic. Like, the best song in the country right now is about a guy that is uh, just an average NBA player on one of the worst teams in the league. That is really funny. You know he probably loves it. I know there's like a, I don't know, like a docufilm or like a miniseries that they talk to him about it. And it's just—it's crazy to me. I, I, can you imagine if they had a, a Tyler Jones song? Oh my gosh! Well, what it would be—it would be I got coupons <laughs> to my favorite store. <laughs> oh, free food, free food. at my door. I go to Taco Bell. In the afternoon. <laughs> See, something like that. I, yeah, it should happen. Oh, uh, gosh. That's great. That is great. Yeah, you know, Mo Bamba is just kind of revolutionary, honestly. Oh, my Mo gosh. Mo Bamba and Czech West are about as revolutionary as the jewel. 
right? Remember, do you remember Tom when uh, Mobamba first showed up on Spotify and people are like, "What on earth is this? Who is this guy?" And then like all, the, and then it just blew up out of nowhere. Like there was a point in time where Mobamba just like sat there, and it took a while for that song actually to like get popular. Yeah, which makes it almost even better that it just wasn't a banger overnight. That it just kind of grew on people, and then it just became this anthem of sorts. And, you know, there are some people out there that hate it, but, you know, I appreciate a good song, even if it, the lyrics are terrible or if it's just something really dumb. And, so, I mean, to be honest, there's not a whole lot of substance to Mobama. There's not a whole lot. There I doesn't mean, need like, to be, though. It's, like, so good without having to be anything else. No, no, I get that. But it's, it's like, oh, well, a song does that, and it can just make people come together and sing together. It just... It's a magical experience. It really it is. is. It is. Mr. Brightside, magical. Like, it's almost on the same level as Don't Stop Believing or Bohemian Rhapsody. One of those songs that everybody knows that when it comes on, everybody magically knows the lyrics. What about we need to find a way to combine the two best things of 2018, Mo Bamba and Gritty together? Maybe a, a video of some sorts. Oh, I'm sure there's probably one out there. I mean, you know, we're we're all waiting on Gritty's next move, and I think this is it if he hasn't done it. So, yeah, I think I think we're on to something uh, as far as that goes. Uh, but Tom, uh, we'll we'll talk about the college football playoff matchups more in depth next week because we still got another show we'll do before those games. Uh, we are going to have a show next week, uh, even with the Christmas holiday, because we don't take any days off around here. Um, so you will be entertained with something uh, to come next week as far as that goes. But the expansion talk has heated up in the uh, last couple of weeks, and I-, I feel like, Tom, you could almost like call that a cliche of, hey, the expansion talk has heated up. I, I think we actually mean it this time. It- it's almost like the boy who cried wolf, you know, we-, we say it so much, but finally it actually means something in the sense of that, this time, when we're talking expansion talk, it's, hey, the Big 12 commissioner, Bob Bowlesby, is behind it. Jim Delaney, the uh, Big 10 commissioner, is behind it. We've heard from the ACC commissioner that he's behind it. That's what's different this time, is that it's coming from the powers that be. The guys that, you know, make the decision makers are the ones in position talking about it. Uh, I had Jeff Long on my radio show last week former college football playoff committee chairman and uh, the uh, athletic director at KU. And he was the very first committee member ever, uh, you know, selection committee member uh, head when uh, this whole ordeal started. And he told me, he said, look, at being on that first committee, I'll always be impartial to the four-team playoff. That's always what I'll prefer. But – this thing's going to go to six or eight. It's just going to happen. There's too many people that you know, want their stake in the game, essentially. And I think that's the case that this is ultimately going to end up being, Tom, is that you know the Big Ten gets left out again, and this time with a, a one-loss Ohio State. You know, Georgia gets left out, and you could make a very good case that they're better than Notre Dame, maybe better than Oklahoma, and even maybe better than Clemson, and they're on the outside looking in. So there's just what, – what you're seeing is that, you know, these conferences 
are not getting their say of what they want, getting a stake, you know, seat at the table. UCF would be included, you know, of course, um, in their own rights. But, you know, when you have a system of five power conferences and only four seats and then an independent like Notre Dame comes in and then two SEC teams get in last year, of course you're not going to have people happy. We knew from the time this thing started, Tom, that four teams was just going to be an experiment that – Expanding this is the inevitable, really. Yeah, Jones, it is the inevitable. And I, I think as soon as the first year happened, we just kind of already assumed that eventually it would move to eight teams. And I don't think it's crazy. You know, as, as much money as they can make off of these games, I, it's going to be a while. And we haven't even moved to eight teams. But I wouldn't be surprised if eventually it moved to something uh, like a 10-team with a play-in or, or something like that, or even 16, um, just because of how successful. And I know football games take more of a toll or, you know, or longer. They can't be played back-to-back uh, like the big dance can be. But I think that we see the success with March Madness with 60, what is there, 68 total teams? 68, yeah. Yeah. And I know there's more colleges and basketball games. Or, you know, it's It's a lot different. Um, but at the same time, I don't think it's crazy to say that the NCAA is looking to say, hey, can we somehow replicate what we have with March Madness and literally do maybe six teams down the road, I'm talking like 10 years, down the road have some type of bracket challenge or something like that with football. I think that would be insane to have 16 teams. Uh, I know that's a lot more games played but at the same time could it happen i mean could that is that at all possible i think that's still ways away from even that yeah, big that discussion like 10 i mean years. right let's let's gotta, circle, let's circle back games. to eight let's start with the eight there and with eight there's there's two possibilities essentially if you go to eight that are being brought up and, and this is where the stakeholders disagree it's do you go with the automatic bids of all you know, Power Five conferences, and then the best group for five team, and then a couple at larges, or do you go with just the best eight teams and leave it subjectively to you know a committee to pick out the eight teams? Here's my thing, and this is why I'm against the automatic bids. And I, I thought about this long and hard uh, of where I would stand on this, but ultimately, this is why I'm against automatic bids. Let's not even look that far down the road. Let's look at this year's playoff prime example here. In an automatic bid situation, the Pac-12 gets a spot in the playoff every year, and Washington, who, you know, they, their season, Tom, was essentially over on the very first week of the season when they lost to Auburn in, uh, in, in Atlanta. Their, their season was essentially over. Their playoff chances were almost done just right then. Now, all of a sudden, a Washington team that's lost three games this year, has no quality non-conference wins, has the same access to the national championship as Alabama. Now, granted, they, they probably have a much tougher path, but they get to play for the same right to get there as Alabama does, I would have a problem with that because there has to be a value. What The thing that makes college football so great is the value of the regular season and how great the regular season is in college football. 
if three lost teams have the chance to compete for a championship, not only are you devaluing the regular season, but you're devaluing the championship itself because uh, you're making it about the playoff and not the right to get there. I think that's as much of the story as it is with college football is the regular season and the path to get to that fight than it is even about the playoff itself. Yeah, I completely agree. And if that, if that happens, you know, I don't, I don't think any three loss team should be able to get in, even if they're dubbed, you know, one of the better, you know, let's say a a power five school is, is loses three games and then you get outside that um, to, you know, say like a UCF or, uh, or even like a Boise State or something like that, and, and they have a perfect season or maybe even a two-loss season. Um, how do you how do you work around that? I think that's the challenge that we're going to face, and I, I hope it doesn't go the direction uh, that you're mentioning that it could. Uh, I, I mean, like you said, it would devalue the regular season, and, and it would just make every Saturday not worth as much that if you got beat by you know a trash team that you know maybe it's not it's not that big of a deal anymore your season's not over uh you know it's it doesn't mean as much and like you said that's what makes college football great is that every single week of the regular season matters every week matters yeah absolutely it does and that's what makes it great is that uh, every week it, it means something i mean you look at that sec championship game if you know, Georgia wins that game, then you have two teams from the SEC in the playoff. That Georgia had the chance to earn their right to the playoff on the very last week of the season. Oklahoma almost lost their right to the playoff on the very last week of the season if Texas can play a solid second half there. That's what makes this great. And, and you know, I, I love the NFL postseason. I do. I love the NFL playoffs. There are some things I would tweak to the NFL playoffs, but don't try to become the NFL. Let the NFL be what the NFL is, and college football stay what it is or, or slightly uh, change it up a bit. I mean, that's, to me, if you're trying to compare things with the NFL, you, you, you can't compare them because the NFL is only a 32-team league. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you play – uh, a lot of the same similar teams, the gap isn't nearly as big from Team A to Team B in the National Football League. Don't try to become the NFL. College football is good at being college football. And so I, I'm all in favor of expanding the playoff to eight teams and getting the best eight teams, but let's not do this automatic bid nonsense. Let's just see what the best teams are. I, I think – yeah, if you want to compare it to the NFL, if you do want to go that route, Tom, how many times do we complain about you know a seven and nine or eight and eight team winning their division and getting in, or you know like a nine and seven Bills team gets a wild card spot, or you know something like that, and you're like, really, they don't even belong here in this postseason. It would be better if there were less teams involved. I think the NBA playoffs are too big as is with too many teams. The college football playoff, you don't want to invite too many to the party because it could dilute the product uh, of what this all means. Um, I think at eight, if uh, if you go to eight, then the interesting factor that I do like of going to eight is all of a sudden 
the home game element becomes a part of the playoff. All of a sudden, home field advantage matters because that first round would be at home sites. All of a sudden, you're looking at, you know, Alabama is hosting UCF in Tuscaloosa. Oklahoma Could is. Could you imagine that? Oh, my gosh. It would be like a bowl game at home. Right. A team you've never seen before or that you've never played in, I don't know, 10, 12, 15, 16, and, 100 years. And meaningful football at home in December would be a game changer for the atmospheres on these campuses and the money that would generate and be a whole new factor. Um, I think that if you here, – here's the deal. If you get eight teams and get the best eight teams and the top four are going to get home games in the playoff, then you do not devalue the regular season because everybody is going to be playing to not only make the playoff, but they want that home field advantage and they want the easier path to get to the national championship game. To me, that's when you get the best of both worlds is you still get the value of the regular season and all of a sudden you have a fight to try to get a home game and a much easier path. Um, at that point, you know, right now it doesn't matter if you're the four seed or the three seed, two seed, or the one seed in the playoff. If you're in, that's all that matters. All of a sudden, if you're the eight seed in the college football playoff, you're not going to get a home game and you got the toughest path of anybody to win the national championship you are going to be battle-tested, and you're going to have to earn it. Um, to me, that would still bring value to the regular season at that point. Oh, yeah. Well, could you imagine an eight seed, you know, having to go to Tuscaloosa or or Clemson or Norman or anywhere like that? That would be insane. Uh, and, and not only would just the home team fans show up, I think everybody in the region would show up. It would be essentially like a bowl game in a small town. And that would be awesome because, you know, the, the bowl games are in, in, in bigger cities. But uh, let's just, for shits and giggles, say Iowa State, you know, down the road, uh, had a home game uh, in the playoffs in December. I mean, could you imagine Ames, Iowa, having something like that? It would be, it would be insane. Waco, Texas, having something like that? I'm being, you know, that, obviously that's probably not going to happen anytime soon, but I'm just listing off the smaller schools that Lubbock, you know, Stillwater, Norman, something like that. That's not Oklahoma City. That's not Dallas. That's not New Orleans. Uh, you know, that's not a big city. That's not Nashville. That's not, you could, I mean, that's not Tucson, Phoenix, Denver. You could go on and on with the bigger cities. Uh, and if you play something like that in a smaller city, um, it would be it would be stupid. It would be awesome. It would be like college game day. At the same time, everybody would show up. It would be nuts. It would be great. It would be great for college football to get to that. And I, I hope they recognize what kind of potential that they have here. Now, you did mention NFL, like seven to nine team getting in. Uh, some years I do have a problem with it, but then the other years you get like the New York Giants that go in and win the Super Bowl. Uh, and that is kind of awesome to see, unless you hate the Giants. Uh, or unless they beat your team in the sure, Super Bowl. Sure, but the Giants, Giants were a 10-6 team um, when they won the yeah, uh, first I mean, time yeah, round. The second true. time here they won the division. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean. But, I mean, I don't want three it, – it's the equivalent of having no, a three yeah, or four-loss team. Like, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, that would And be then trash. think about that this. Would... Think about this. If you said, okay, the Power 5 Conference champions get in the playoff, all of a sudden that conference title game week comes around and – Pittsburgh has the same access as Clemson does, 
if they just win that one game compared to, you know, what Clemson did all season long. Or, you know, Pittsburgh will lost five games this year. Or same with Northwestern and Ohio State. Like, no, no, absolutely not. You don't deserve that same access. I'm not a fan of conference championship games. That's the other thing that you got to work out in all this if you expand the playoff is what do you do about conference championships? Um, and then the conference got to figure out, do they want to keep divisions and all this in these conference championship games? That's a whole other process because that's essentially 20 five to thirty million dollars that those conferences are getting on one more game you're going to have to find a way to work around that to keep things going and quite frankly that's not going to be easy to uh to work around and deal with uh as far as figuring out what to do because if the system stays as is tom of 12 regular season games a conference championship game two playoff games and now you're going to add in an additional one Right now, to win the national championship, you uh, you have a path of 15 games. Um, if you add in another playoff round without eliminating any portion of the regular season, all of a sudden you're looking at a 16-game season to win a title for college kids. That's the equivalent of the NFL regular season. So um, I think the solution is get rid of the conference title games and, uh, I mean, just play the conference schedules as is. I think the conference title games are dumb. They're useless. Somebody mentioned to me, said, you know, hey, well, what about the uh, the conference tournaments in college basketball? You know, the teams earn their right to go to the tournament that way. And I said, uh, the conference tournaments in college basketball are dumb, too. Um, why, were you, why do you focus your season on a weekend compared to what a team did all season long? I'm much more impressed with KU's 14 straight Big 12 basketball titles in the regular season than what any team did in the Big 12 tournament for a weekend. Um, you know, I, I I just don't value those conference championship games. But, uh, you know, like I, like I said, it's uh, going to be tough to get rid of those when they're essentially money machines. Yeah, it is kind of like a machine. So that's, I mean, they're going to have to talk about that and figure out how that's going to work because I think, and maybe they just implement it and just try to work out the kinks on the go, just try to work out the bugs. Uh, and I think that's probably what will happen. I don't think anything will be perfect right out of the gate. Maybe, maybe, Tom, you tell the conferences, okay, you can have your conference championship game, but we still get an extra round of the playoff. Maybe you do go ahead and push through and say, you know what, go ahead, play one more game. That might be the end-all, be-all that, hey, you get your conference championship games, but we're still going to take the best eight teams, no automatic bids. No, that would be cool, too. I think it would still – I think that would be fair because then even if they don't get in, you still have a, a conference championship. You have one true winner or whatever, and if they don't get in, then they can just kind of bitch and moan all they want after that. Uh, but if as long as they let them know and say, hey, you can go ahead and play this, then it kind of just forces the ball into the conference's court of – should we have this game or not? Right. It's a great question. We'll continue the discussion more. Cade McFarland said to join us. Coming up here in just a few minutes here on the Jones Report. At this time, ladies and gentlemen, we welcome into the Jones Report, friend of the show, it is Cade McFarland, sports director at KJRH in uh, Tulsa, and uh, he joins us right now. And uh, more than happy to talk to Caden. Uh, I mean, he works for me. Uh, that's and so I've been told anyway. And uh, enjoyed this right now. Caden, right. what's happening? 
who works for you, but I work for everybody. Not just you, Tyler. Not everyone. Everyone. You are you are the common man for the common man. I I believe that sums it up pretty well, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Caden, uh, I mean, slow time of the year. There's there's nothing like, you know, no no big game or anything sometime in the next couple of weeks. No. No, I have no idea what we're going to put in our shows for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, yeah, signing day is always fun. And actually, I welcome the departure from the OU Bama hype and talk. Uh, but we'll get right back to it soon enough, man. I mean, that that game is about as good as it gets. Yeah, it is. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, as far as signing day goes, uh, I mean, we, we're, we're double dipping on this now. You you have today's signing day, and then uh, in February, the big deal. Now with most of these teams, you know, I mean, this is still first picking. You know, this is like your first attempt at it. This day is bigger than the one in February now. Oh, no doubt. I, I believe Oklahoma State's entire class is in today. Maybe Gundy's waiting on one other. Oklahoma's going to be just about finished. At Tulsa, it's different. It, you know, as you go further down the food chain, I think Tulsa's class is maybe about half full today, and then they're able to go chasing some of the other guys um, who maybe were looking for, for bigger schools and, and it didn't materialize. So uh, just about everybody is just about done. Um, look, I like it as a college football fan. As a media guy who's got to cover this stuff a week before Christmas, not a huge fan, but as a college football fan, uh, I, I think it makes a lot of sense, at least so far. We'll, we'll see. Uh, the big boys, the Oklahomas, the Alabamas, they'll continue to clean up kind of no matter how you set it up. Uh, but I think so far just about everybody's been happy with it. We just talked to Philip Montgomery at Tulsa, for instance, and even he is still okay. He had a kid, a uh, union kid by the name of Ricky Stromberg, who flipped from Tulsa to Arkansas just this week. So he's got to scramble for a spot there. But he gives him a little extra time to scramble, right? Back when it was February and you had that sort of thing happen, you were just out of luck. Now he's got some time before February to go fill that spot. So I think, you know, it, the big boys are always going to be taken care of. But I, I think it works in different re- for different reasons for everybody. Yeah, and I'll say this. The, the big takeaway I have from this, this new signing day thing, and this is the second year of it, is that new head coaches, whether it's replacing a fired coach or taking a new job, you know, whatever, they are put at such a disadvantage. Les Miles, for example, has a total of nine commitments. Uh, you know, Chris Kleiman at K-State, you know, took over that program a week ago and is also trying to coach his team in the FCS playoffs at the same time, too. Uh, new coaches are at such a disadvantage now. I mean, it was already a disadvantage as is. Now, uh, I mean, you, you almost have to, you know, hire a coach, you know, pretty quickly if you're going to, you, you don't have time to wait to make a decision on if you're going to move on and make a coaching change anymore. That's a good point. And I'll, I'll tell you this, I, I don't think it's going to change anything in this regard, but if it gets any athletic director to slow down and give a, the guy he's got on hand another year, I'm all for it because I just think there are way too many firings in college football here, there, and everywhere. Uh, I would love to see guys get the five years that they're you know promised at the start of their contract. I think way too many guys are blown out too early, and then money is paid, and you know about that up at the University of Kansas, where, I mean, wouldn't things be better if you had just stuck it out with Turner Gill? I mean, maybe it wouldn't have been great for four or five years, but it would have been better than, than what's followed. Uh, I, I think there are too many firings, and if 
if the recruiting timetable changes that even a little bit, because you're right, guys are behind the eight ball when they're hired in December, and you have that signing day looming in just a few days, I, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, uh, I'd be intrigued to see exactly what this is going to play out for the next several years, uh, the long-term f- effects of uh, when this all uh, unfolds. Caden, uh, uh, down there in Tulsa, you guys had an interesting class of uh, some really good high school talent down in the 918 this year. Uh, I mean, when when the player of the year isn't getting – you know, D1 offers in uh, in Cortez, you know, from uh, from my school, you know, Noah Cortez from Broken Arrow. Uh, to me, that's kind of a sign that, hey, you know, there's a, there's a lot of guys, you know, trying to, to fight for these uh, these spots there. Yeah, and he's one of those guys. Just the size and the speed is not prototypical. It, it's not what people are looking for. But somebody's going to give him a chance, and he's the kind of kid who works so hard and is so competitive. Just wouldn't be surprised to see him surface somewhere, some way. Uh, but you're right. We have a ton of talent down here. I think 20 of the top 30 probably players in the state of Oklahoma uh, were from the Tulsa area, what we call green country. Uh, and, you know, at the very top, Dax Hill is maybe the top recruit the state of Oklahoma has seen in at least a decade, maybe more. Uh, I mean, five-star guy, according to everybody, one of the top 20 players in the country, regardless of position, the number one safety, and he was going back and forth between Michigan and Alabama. You know, we don't have a whole lot of guys going to OU or OSU this year. OSU did pick up a, a, a couple of green country kids. Uh, but, you know, we, we're sending kids to TCU, uh, potentially Texas Tech. Um, it, it, kids just kind of North Texas, a couple of North Texas guys. So, we have a lot of talent that's going a lot of different places. Uh, obviously, Broken Arrow, your alma mater, was a big part of that and winning the state championship. And I got it. I got to tell you, we just came from from Tulsa's press conference. Uh, I, I think there are a lot of kids on that Broken Arrow roster who could have helped Tulsa and probably could have helped a lot of other schools at about that level. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where some of these kids. I guess Potter is a Kansas State lean uh, linebacker from Broken Arrow, but I don't think he's signing today. Um, there, there are definitely some kids who will see surface in the Big 12 from this area this year. Yeah, and that, that's great to see. That's that's great to see when the 918 is producing some uh, some talent like that at that level. That's uh, that's fantastic, no doubt about it. Well, you you think about it, um, how badly Caden would OSU would have had to have Mason Fine this past year? I mean, like that's a kid that was right there in the 918 that. Uh, I mean, was just looking to go anywhere. I mean, he, he would have gone to TU anywhere. And, you know, what do you know? He's uh, he's tearing it up in North Texas. I mean, they, they would love to have him right now. And, uh, I mean, they missed on a guy that was just right there in their own backyard like that. Yeah, and you can understand it for OSU. You know, they had Mason Rudolph on hand. They have Spencer Sanders coming in next year. They recruit quarterbacks really, really well. Uh, but you think the University of Tulsa could have used the back-to-back Conference USA Offensive Player of the Year. Um, I, I love that story, and I really wish somebody from around here had given him a chance because it was obvious to all of us that he could really throw the football. I mean, it, not just that he was accurate, but he had a big arm. He could get it downfield, and he had great mobility, and mostly he was just a gamer. And you pull for kids like that. You started by talking about Noah Cortez. You know, I think he's one of those. You pull for those kids. I understand why coaches stick by the height, weight prototype that they, they do. I mean, there's a reason Alabama wins national championships every other year. I mean, they look the part. So I get it. 
But when you when you get down the food chain a little bit to the Tulsa's of the world and even you know the Oklahoma State, you got to see that in a kid, uh, especially when he's in your backyard. I mean that's that's what recruiting is. Uh, but nevertheless, Mason finds a great story. Um, you know, Cherokee, who has said, I, I believe he says he would like to be uh, the president of, of the Cherokee Nation at one point when he's done playing football. Uh, he's doing big things at North Texas. I wish he was doing it here, uh, but happy for the kid nonetheless. Yeah, no doubt about it, for sure. It, it, and it happens in, in every state. And you know, Ben Powers, who uh, has been an all Big sure. 12 offensive lineman there at OU, uh, went on a rant during Big 12 Media Day about how uh, you know he wasn't recruited by KU or K State uh, out of the Wichita area there, and that you know he feels like they overlooked too many Kansas kids. So I mean, it happens. Uh, I mean, you hate to see it, but it is what it is. Glad to see those guys be successful at that level. So this uh, this this Orange Bowl coming up uh, here in uh, just about a week and a half or so uh, between OU and Alabama. Caden, how you feeling about the uh, Sooners' chances going into the uh, national semifinal? I think there's just something about me. I, it, I, as much as I try not to, I just can't help but kind of play devil's advocate. And I hear so many people here in the state of Oklahoma now who are, in my estimation, more confident than they should be going into this ball game. Um, I, you know, it's totally Alabama different from the last time these two teams played. Anything like this, uh, there is no doubt about that. Some of the better. Georgia's got a really good offense. I would maybe even say borderline great offense. Um, and Alabama did hold them under 30, so give them credit for that. They, they won the ball game. But LSU, Mississippi State, those are probably the next two best teams Alabama faced, and their offenses just aren't very good. So I get some of the confidence that people here have um, believing that Alabama hasn't seen anything like Kyler Murray and Marquise Brown in this offensive line. But if you think OU is just going to go put 40 on Alabama automatically, to me, you're not paying attention to college football. Those guys are good. Could that happen? Could this game become a shootout, go off the rails? Sure, it could happen. But I can't tell you how much respect I have for Nick Saban and the way he runs that program and the way he goes about things uh, in terms of not just bringing in elite talent but demanding a lot from those kids and making them better players. They're not big trash talkers. I mean, like, they, put, they play the game of football the way you should want kids to play the game of football. So I'm not a guy who thinks that OU is going to go in there and make this uh, a, a three-point game or a seven-point game or maybe even find a way to win. I think Alabama is the better team. I think their offense is going to score on OU's sorry defense all game long. I do think OU is going to have success early offensively. Kyler Murray and Lincoln Riley are just that good. But eventually, it's going to become awfully difficult for this OU offense. And I'll say this, if Marquise Brown isn't healthy, and we hear things both ways right now. If he's not healthy come December the 29th and there's not the threat of him taking the top off that defense, I think this thing could get ugly. Now, that's where I stand now. There's a lot of time between these games and we vacillate, right? So you mind if, if I at least reserve the right to maybe change my mind a little bit on this as we get close to the game? I think that maybe this thing will be closer. But as it stands now, I think Alabama's going to put it on OU pretty good. Caden, I'll, I'll let you hang on to that. That's fine. Uh, you, you have my consent to, uh, to, to change your mind later on. That's fine. Uh, but when I, when I look at, at this game, you know, one, one of the big keys is going to be that quarterback position, not necessarily for OU because you know what you're going to get out of Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray has played well in every game this year. 
That quarterback position for Alabama, I was reminded, and I think the nation was too, how good of a quarterback Jalen Hurts really was. We were quick to dismiss him because he got benched, because he lost his job. But the way he played in that SEC championship game, he I mean, he, he played well for those two years he started. I mean, if if it's Tua or if it's Jalen or if Jalen does end up coming over coming in and, you know, taking time away of some sorts, it almost doesn't matter who's playing that quarterback position because they got good options either way. Tua is clearly the better guy, but maybe Jalen Hurts is gonna be better come December 9th that day. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. I think Alabama probably gets the 49 one way or the other. Uh, if two is not completely healthy, wouldn't be surprised at all to see Jalen come in and be the guy who takes command and, and leads his team with one scoring drive after another. His ability to run the football would give OU fits. There is no doubt about it. That said, OU has been so poor in coverage, especially deep downfield. What we saw from Tua all year long and, and this group of Alabama receivers that may be the best in the country. I don't think I don't I don't see how OU stops them either way. Um, I, I to me Alabama's kinda gonna have to stop itself. OU's gonna have to get lucky. I, I think that the Sooners defense could stand on its head and play its very best and they might still give up forty two in this matchup. I I think whether it's Tua or Hurts, Alabama's gonna have a whole lot of success offensively. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I think so. They're going to have success. And uh, for, for this OU defense, uh, Caden, uh, it's going to be out basically. You're, you're going to have to hope it's a shootout and, and get enough stops, essentially. I mean, you're not no, – no one's banking on that, hey, OU's going to win this game because they're going to hold Alabama under 30 points. It's going to be that, hey, the offense does their part and you get some turnovers and get some stops there. I mean, this is a – the ultimate bend but don't break uh, type of scenario here for this OU defense where it's not doing too much, it's doing just enough to get a victory here. Sure. And they've done that a lot, not just this year, but even going back to last year. And that's one thing, if Alabama turns it over early or if Alabama's offense isn't quite firing, it's not in rhythm early, and OU's is, and OU can go up 14 nothing or 17 nothing, something like that, you do begin to wonder just how uncomfortable might Alabama's offense be if for the first time, maybe ever, an Alabama offense goes into a game thinking, well, I, I should take that back because Deshaun Watson put it on their heads pretty good a couple times in title games. But very rarely are they in a situation where they think, man, we might need to score 38 or 42 to win this thing. We're going to have to win a shootout. OU, meanwhile, is in that situation all the time and that was one, you know, area in which I thought Kyler Murray couldn't possibly be as good as Baker Mayfield. Just the calm he showed in those shootouts. Kyler was every bit as good as Baker. Just went back out and kept scoring, kept scoring, kept scoring. We saw it against Texas Tech. We saw it against Oklahoma State. We saw it against West Virginia. Only knows how to win a shootout. And I think, you know, the defense, they've been in that situation so much. I don't think they're going to get too discouraged, uh, you know, when Alabama goes down the field or when they hit a big play, like they give that up all the time and they know they've got Kyler Murray on the other side. So OU potentially has the advantage if this thing becomes a shootout and if it's close simply because they've been there and done that. And for Alabama, that's going to feel weird. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Caden McFarland joining us here on the Jones Report this week. Uh, Caden, 
Have you been dreaming about at night uh, that OU-Notre Dame matchup to see your Irish in the national championship, that possibility? I got to tell you. I mean, I guess I would rather, as a Notre Dame fan, <laughs> I guess I would rather see Notre Dame face OU than Alabama, but not by much. Uh, to me, that would be an awful matchup for my Irish. There is not a good matchup for these guys uh, in the college football playoff this year, in my opinion. Um, I, I don't like their chances against Clemson, but I do like their chances against Clemson better than I like them against Alabama or OU. So, no. One, I would be an absolute wreck. <laughs> I was back in 2012 when Notre Dame came into Norman and knocked off the Sooners in that season where the Irish went undefeated until Alabama beat the breaks off them in the title game. Um, I, I was giddy that night. It was almost, it was borderline embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> no, I if, you can go back and look at the tape. You can watch my reports. I was, I don't think it came across that I was, um, excited about what had transpired that night, but I got to say, I'm already dreading my five and six o'clock live shots on the 29th as Notre Dame is playing Clemson at that moment. <laughs> and I, you know, try and keep my nerves in check. But no, point is, as big a Notre Dame fan as I am, and trust me, I love them, I love this team, I'm glad they made the playoffs. I don't like them in a matchup against any of these three teams. I understand why Vegas would have them as the underdog in all three of those matchups, and you can throw Georgia and probably Ohio State in there as well. Uh, Notre Dame's had a heck of a season. Give Brian Kelly all the credit in the world, but we're not quite at that level. Uh, so <laughs> am I dreaming of you, Notre Dame? Yes. But mostly because San Francisco would be a great place to be in January. And, you know, yeah, I'd love to see the Irish win at least one more, but I wouldn't feel great about their chances. Okay, okay. Uh, so- I've thrown you under the bus by saying I think Bama's going to beat them. But I've also admitted that I think my favorite team, Notre Dame, would go down to OU. So you, you that's are. About, that's the kind of balance you can expect from me, Tyler. Yes. I'm not a homer, but I'm not a hater either. No, you're a realist. That's what you are. I mean, uh, you're, you're a realist to the core. So I applaud you for that. Uh, that uh, that you keep it real, keep it one hundred. Uh, that's uh, that's great stuff. But uh, what well, I felt like Notre Dame scheduled their way to the playoff this year. I mean, other than that game against Michigan, who has uh, the Irish really faced this year? I, I was not impressed with that schedule, and usually I am. I like that independent schedule that Notre Dame does. That ACC package they do and everything. I mean, I, I usually give them more credit than most people. To me, I, I didn't feel like there was much of a body of work there beyond that Michigan game. Uh, to begin the year and Michigan didn't look that great against Ohio State uh, there at the end of the season. Yeah, they caught some breaks. You can't knock them for what Florida State and USC did this year. I mean, those are games when you schedule them, you expect those to be slobber knockers. Uh, And Stanford ended up, what, with eight wins? Not a typical, certainly not vintage Stanford, not the best they could be, but not a terrible team either. And then, you know, Syracuse ended up being a pretty fine team. Uh, and, you know, Notre Dame beat them 36-3. to uh, Those guys, Syracuse almost beat Clemson. Notre Dame, meanwhile, doesn't even give up a touchdown to them. So there are things to like about Notre Dame's body of work, but it's certainly not what you would have expected it would need to be at the start of the season when we didn't know that Florida State and USC uh, would end up being terrible. One thing I'll say in defense of Notre Dame and the way they schedule, they play teams from all over the country, and they play teams that play a whole bunch of different styles. They see the triple option every year in Navy. they got to deal with West Coast teams that will usually throw it around a whole lot better. they got to deal with Big Ten teams that are tough. they got to deal with teams from the ACC that have Southern athletes. I give Notre Dame a lot of credit for at least playing a schedule that forces you to play ball lots of different ways. I think we've seen here in this state for years now 
Oklahoma has built a team that fares really well in the Big 12. When they go play man ball teams, and I know that their record has been pretty good against the SEC, but you know they stole one against Alabama in the Sugar Bowl a few years ago. The Auburn team they beat uh, in 2016 wasn't that good at all. But I'm thinking of you know playing Clemson in back-to-back bowl games and getting blown out a few years ago, losing to Florida in the national title game. Very often, OU isn't quite built to deal with elite SEC-level athletes. And I throw Clemson in there with the SEC-level athletes. Yeah, uh, but they are they are built to deal with the Big Twelve. One thing Notre Dame's got to do, they got to play a whole bunch of different people and find a way to win. Uh, I don't think they're the best team in the country. I don't even think they're probably second or third this year. Uh, but you have to, you know, tip your cap to what they were able to accomplish. Twelve and zero is twelve and zero, and they did it against what Michigan is good. Syracuse had a pretty good team. Stanford had a pretty good team, and USC and Florida State at least have elite athletes. So. Uh, was it the best body of work anybody in the country had this year? No, it wasn't, but it was certainly worthy of making the playoffs. Okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough, Caden. Uh, no doubt about it. Notre Dame, you know, they in their matchups against OU and Texas, they went what two and two. I mean, that's that's respectable. Yeah. You know, what I mean, it was it was great what they did uh, when they did face you know Big Twelve teams uh, when they were given that opportunity. Real quick on the uh, on the Thunder, Caden, uh, what, what what's going on with them? I mean, this is you get rid of Mello, you bring in uh, you know you know Schroeder, he he joins this squad, and I mean this team has gotten a little bit healthier. Obviously, they're still waiting on Roberson. What happened to this team? I mean, they clicked all of a sudden compared to what wasn't there all year last season. Well, there's depth. I I think I saw something last week where six players that were on this roster one year ago that are not anymore don't have an NBA job anywhere. Uh, Now, Nick Collison obviously retired. Carmelo Anthony, I'm not sure if he's going to resurface or not, but you know, Singler and Houston, and they they were carrying guys on the roster a year ago who simply couldn't have played or drawn a paycheck anywhere else. Aren't drawing a paycheck right now. Uh, the depth is much, much better. And this team is capable of playing really good ball and beating some really good teams. On nights where Russell Westbrook really doesn't have it going, at least shooting the ball. Uh, and Westbrook's doing a pretty nice job of finding, all right, on this night against this opponent, what does this team need from me? You know, and a couple nights ago, he was really, really good defensively. Uh, again, couldn't shoot the ball. When he gets it going, you know, I think they are capable of taking it to another level. Now, all that said, they've taken some losses this month that I think they're really going to regret um, come the end of the year because the schedule is about to get brutal. Um, everybody in the West, with the exception of Phoenix, is capable of capable of beating you on any given night. Road games are going to be awfully difficult to win. To me, Oklahoma State or Oklahoma City needed to make some more hay here in the month of December. I would like to see their record, what, they're 19 and 10. be a whole lot better if they were about 22 and 7. Uh, that said, they'll be in the mix all year long. Paul George really is playing, I mean, we can, you know, borderline MVP level. they got a lot of pieces, a lot of guys they can rely on night to night. Uh, Schroeder's been fantastic for the most part. I like what this team is capable of defensively more than I thought I would uh, without Roberson. Um, I you know, didn't realize he was going to have a setback with his injury, so was counting on him this year. If he can't play all year, you still feel like this team's capable of playing some pretty fine defense. Uh, are they going to go win the West? As long as the Golden State Warriors are healthy, heck no. I, I, I just don't see how anybody is. And I have a great respect for Denver as well. Yeah, Denver uh, or something. But I, I think Oklahoma City's near the top. They, 
a top half uh, playoff teams in the West for sure. Just win a playoff series, just one. You know, I mean, it's been a while since uh, Oklahoma City fans tasted a little bit of victory in the postseason. Uh, you know, two years now, so uh, that would be nice if they can just get one. Uh, I think you'd make a lot of people happy. As far as that goes. All right, last thing, Caden, I'll leave you on this. I was thinking of you over the weekend because I was watching the New Mexico Bowl, and I really want to go to the New Mexico Bowl. Like, to me, that is an underrated bowl. What what a venue that was, and the scenery and everything. Like, to me, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know what? That's not a bad bowl game. You know, that was their ninth year. Uh, I used to work with the guy who runs the bowl game. His name's Jeff Simbietta. He used to work with me at KRQE years ago. He's a fantastic dude. He's done a great job. They've done a great job. I am, look, I have said for years and years, if you don't like having all these bowl games, you don't have to watch. It's free, man. I mean, ESPN gets double or triple the ratings they would get if they were playing college basketball in there. They're funding most of these small games, including the New Mexico Bowl. I love it. I love the New Mexico Bowl. I love watching it. I love getting to see some of the scenes from home each and every year. Uh, I'm all, and they had one of the, probably their best matchup ever this year with Utah State and North Texas. So I'm right there with you. It makes me wish that I was uh, back home eating some red or green chili. <laughs> oh, if, if green chili's involved, then I'm definitely making on my list that I'm going to the New Mexico Bowl at some point. That is marking off. That's going to happen. Um, I mean, that, I need to do it sometime, man. Let's do it. I'm down. Next year, we'll make it happen. Uh, I mean, the fact that KU Villanova, a Final Four rematch, was 11 a.m. on ESPN, and the New Mexico Bowl was like in the afternoon, that tells you all you need to know as far as the value of college football is compared to college basketball on that front. Uh, follow this guy on Twitter at CadenMC and uh, we'll catch up down the line. Caden, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, man. You bet, Tyler. My pleasure. Big thanks to Caden McFarland for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges, back here with you now. Tom, uh, what, what would you call the uh, the station that Caden works for? Uh, you call it just K2? K2, right? K2. <laughs> K2. <laughs> K2 works for you. Yeah. It, it really it. does. Does it? Does it work better than Channel 2 in Tulsa? Right. Does it work better than them? Well, they are Channel 2 in Tulsa. Well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Which one's better? I, I think the K2 and Channel 2 are probably the same thing. They, yeah, maybe so. Maybe maybe they go hand-in-hand. Hand. You know, they're a dream team. Quite a combo there as far as that goes. Uh, welcome back. Uh, a couple more things uh, before we get out of here today. Let's go ahead and get to uh, uh, talk NFL now. This uh, playoff picture, the way things uh, look right now. The Chiefs, they sure made things a lot harder on themselves by blowing that 14-point lead with five minutes to go last week against the uh, Chargers, because with the Patriots losing on Sunday, if the Chiefs simply just play defense for like two or three plays, even one play, if they stop that two-point conversion from happening, the Chiefs would already have home field locked up for the entire playoffs right now. But it's the Chiefs, so they got to make things interesting, of course. And, and maybe, maybe they got their – annual late-season choke choke job out of the way. Maybe that's the case uh, because it was certainly that against the uh, Chargers last Thursday night. Now you play the Seahawks 
and then the Raiders, and the Raiders should be a win, although they did beat the Steelers a couple weeks ago, so who knows. But these next two weeks, the position they're in, a game up on the Texans, tied with the Chargers here. All of a sudden, Tom, there is no room for error whatsoever with this Kansas City Chiefs team. I think that, and we'll get to picks here in, in a few moments, we are going to see a determined Kansas City Chiefs team. I think they're going to respond well to uh, that one they gave away on Thursday night, especially coming on, uh, you know, they got a little extended week too, playing on Thursday last week. I, I think we're going to see a pretty driven team that's going to come out and uh, they're going to take care of business and try to lock this whole thing up uh, this weekend here. Yeah, they're going to need to because Seattle has no place to lay an egg in. I can promise you that being a Rams fan. Uh, Seattle will come out. And there you are. They've been tested, and they've here lately. They've come up. So uh, I think Kansas City does. I mean, I think they do come out determined, especially after losing in front of a home crowd in the way they did. But also, not even that, just because they have to. Uh, I mean, these next two games are must-win for the Chiefs. I mean, obviously they're still getting to the playoff, but uh, one game could mean everything in these last two. How devastating would it be for this team to all of a sudden? end up as the wild card if they were to blow one of these two teams like one of these two games if they lose to Seattle or Oakland either one and the Chargers went out and end up getting that one and they fall to the five seed you could pretty much just write off the Chiefs at that point because this Chiefs team needs home field to win in the postseason they need it and they would also be coming in not playing their best football and obviously would uh, be coming in with such a sour taste in their mouth. This Chiefs team, they have to win this division and get that one seed if they're going to have a shot because uh, you, you can't go in to the postseason uh, like that. Uh, they, they, it's, it's pivotal. Not only – you basically have to look at these next couple of weeks like playoff games, Tom, because uh, there's no way that a Chiefs team – can come limping into the postseason as a wild card and uh, win this Super Bowl, I think. Yeah, there's no way. What would be even more devastating is if they beat Seattle and then lost to the piss-poor Oakland Raiders. If they do it in that fashion, you might as well write them off in the first game. Uh, because right. just like in March Madness, you got to ride in hot. If you can ride in hot uh, and, and build that, and, and obviously right now the Chiefs, aren't riding hot the Rams aren't riding hot hell I know the Saints still won but they're not even riding hot right now um so I can tell you who is riding hot Pittsburgh uh is riding in pretty hot right now so you know and the Chargers obviously they're riding in pretty hot as well so I, I think that's what's going to come down to is kind of finishing the season strong and, and finishing you know knocking out these games yeah that's going to be the uh the goal for sure uh, for these guys to have to on that end, with the uh, Patriots' loss, Tom, um, I think that they were, if they were going to be one of the top two seeds, they were going to be the favorites, no matter what Kansas City did, just because out of respect of what they've done. But if things hold and they end up being the three or four seed, and they're limping in with losing to Miami and losing to Pittsburgh like they did, um, all of a sudden, this is a whole different look for this Patriots team. I think that they become very beatable right away. In fact, the way they're playing right now, they are very beatable as is. Um, but this team could turn it on at any time. But, I mean, it's got to happen soon. I mean, they, they're used to going into the postseason playing 
good football. They, they've never had success when they've gone into the postseason playing like this. Yeah, that is true. And, and for a lot of the other teams who might have to end up playing them, it, it, it makes them maybe just a little bit easier. I know you, you, know, you can never doubt playoff Belichick. You never doubt playoff Tom Brady. Uh, but it does look like they are beatable. It doesn't. It doesn't seem as as intimidating as it was if they were riding hot. If they finish out the Miami game and go into Pittsburgh and and win, you know, pretty convincingly, then you're thinking, oh shit, here come the Patriots again. The same storyline again and again. But it's not been that way. So, uh, I, you know, I don't think we're going to see the Patriots in the Super Bowl. I say that until Tom Brady makes me eat crow. Uh, but you know, and anything can happen in the playoffs. But like I said before, you got to come in riding hot. Who is uh, going to be the favorites out of the AFC? If you had to pick one team right now, Tom, if I made you pick one team to ride or die with from this point out, who's that one team you're going to ride or die with? Do the Chiefs get the one seed? Um, I'm saying as things stand right now, going forward with the rest of the regular season and – the playoffs. If you had to, you know, if you had to pick one that you got to ride or die with from this point forward, who are you taking? You know, at this point forward, I'd take the Chiefs. But if the if the Chargers pull this thing off, I, I, Chargers are playing way too good. I think the Chargers uh, end up with it. That that's a cop out answer though, because you're you're just telling okay, me that. So it's, I'll I'll tell you what I'll I'll take I'll take what I said at the beginning. I'll say the Chiefs. So the Chiefs would be your ride or die team. Who you would go with? Okay, right now, yes. All it right. Change weeks. Um, I would go with the Chiefs as well, but I'm not very confident in saying that. I think that the Chargers, Texans, Chiefs, and Patriots are all capable of winning the AFC right now. I don't think Pittsburgh is. I don't think that. Uh, I think they're too out of sync. They have not. I, I can't count on Pittsburgh to play three consecutive good games of football in the postseason to get to the Super Bowl or two, for that matter. Can't count on that right now. Uh, but those other ones we mentioned, and I would put New England up there out of respect um, that they're still a contender. I'm not writing them off yet, but the Texans, Chiefs, and Chargers, I think all those guys, Chiefs would be my favorite, but I wouldn't count after that. I think then you can kind of ride off and uh, squeeze things down a bit. What about the NFC? The Saints were playing really good all year. And, you know, what was it? The Rams started out. 9, 10, 10 and 0, something like that. And then the Saints come in and beat them. And the Saints all of a sudden look like the best team in the NFC. The Rams have lost two straight for the first time in the Sean McVay era. The Bears have locked up that division. And now Philly just got a win, big win too. What looked like a two-team race all season long between New Orleans and L.A. now all of a sudden has opened up a little bit in the NFC. That, to me... Uh, I think there's a lot more parity on the NFC side than there is the AFC side, Tom. Yeah, I do too. And and if we had to pick, you know, the three teams again or the however many teams that have a shot at it, I mean, I know the Eagles, they're coming on the Nick Foll thing, and, and we talked about this off the show about how, you know, the Eagles just operate better under Nick Foles. It was evident last season. Um, and now they have him again. They do. I, I don't think yeah. Wentz. I don't think Wentz is a better quarterback than Foles, but I do think that Foles is better suited. He he's better suited to run that offense than than uh, Carson Wentz is because Wentz can't stay healthy. Yeah, exactly. And and 
Um, you know, I'm not counting out Dallas just yet as to win that division either because, you know, Dak Prescott hasn't been playing that great. Uh, it's kind of been lackluster, and, and the whole thing against the Colts, you know, it's kind Carson, of direction. I think Carson Wentz is going to be this generation's Sam Bradford, a very good, talented quarterback, but just his body's not going to hold up. You know, probably not, especially you can't really – it's pretty tough to come back from a broken vertebrae. Um, so that's tough to say, too. You know, right now for me, uh, I, I think the team that I'm most scared of is not for is being a Rams fan. It's not even New Orleans. It's it's the Chicago Bears. Uh, their defense has been incredible. It reminds me a lot of the 85 Bears. Uh, and that Matt Nagy coach, you know, he hasn't playing well. I know they lost that crazy game to the Giants. They came back and just completely exposed the L.A. Rams. Trubisky's played um, good, too. Yeah, he really has. Uh, and I know he was injured for a while and uh, with that shoulder, but, I mean, it looks fine now. So I, I really do think it comes down to New Orleans, Chicago, and uh, in, in L.A. And, and for what it's worth, uh, for the bias of what it's worth, I really hope Chicago gets beat out uh, in the first round. I'm really just – really hoping that but I, I could I could see Chicago going all the way yeah I, I think those three uh separated themselves but I, I wouldn't count out Philly though now that Nick Foles is back of possibly what they could do um if I got a ride or die with one team in the NFC Tom I'm not confident saying this one bit um as far as a ride or die pick but I got to go with New Orleans at the moment. I know they just lost to Carolina and everything, but no, they beat Carolina. But it was or they, they they beat Carolina. That's right. Barely. It wasn't, it wasn't pretty. It was ugly. They they lost to Dallas. That's who it was a couple weeks ago. Um, they've not played well on the road, but if they get home field, then it doesn't matter how they've played on the road because um, they have they're arguably the best team at home of anybody in the league. so Well, at this point, they have to lose the last two, and the Rams have to win the next two uh, to get home field, it looks like. Yeah. I'm pretty so, sure. My, my ride-or-die team, I'll go with New Orleans, but I'm not confident in saying that, Tom, because they have been exposed. They are beatable. This is a very vulnerable New Orleans team. Yeah, and, and you know, as, if I'm going to pick a ride-or-die, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep the same thing. I'm not going to lose hope. I think I think McVay can turn around, and my ride-or-die team is going to be the Rams. I think if they can play, they can get to that point where they play New Orleans in New Orleans again. I think it comes down to saying it's hard to beat a team twice, uh, and I think the Rams would pull it off. So I'm, my ride-or-die, it's biased as hell, but I'm going to say the Rams. Uh, MVP race at this point in time, down to, uh, to three at this point that uh, you could make a legit case for. As far as who deserves that MVP award, Patrick Mahomes uh, is my guy. Some say it's Drew Brees. Some say it's Andrew Locke now uh, as part of this. Uh, I got to go with Mahomes. He leads the league in in yards, touchdowns. His team's in first place in the AFC. It's only his second year in the league, and he's doing this. And you've seen the difference between a Pro Bowl quarterback and Alex Smith doing it and then what he's doing now um to me i gotta go with uh with a mahomes is my guy what, what what do you think tom who would be your mvp pick right now you know there's a lot of times that we say well he can win it later um and i think that's going to be the case this year you know we talk about might not be you know mahomes might be the mvp but at the same time i did quote me if i'm wrong 
I don't think Drew Brees has ever won an MVP, and I think this is the year he does it. I mean, he's kind of running out at his age, the year he's having. Um, i got to go with Drew Brees. Mahomes is going to win it later, uh, so that's why I kind of really do think they're going to give it to Brees. I wouldn't count out Phillip Rivers either. Yeah, Phillip Rivers. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to say Breeze, but if Philip Rivers can, uh, he's has to be in the conversation as well. If if Breeze gets it, doesn't it feel like almost a lifetime achievement award of some sorts? Yeah, I mean, it 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 kind of recognizes like, hey, we know you haven't got it all these years because you've had to been competing with Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, and dude, now it's your time to shine, and we appreciate what you've done for the league. He broke the records most passing yards this year, all time. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, Mahomes, what he's done is MVP caliber. Uh, but I, I simply do think they give it to Drew Brees just because what he's done over his career and that he's never won it. Maybe so. Maybe so. Um, but I, I, I'll go with Mahomes. I don't think Brees is a bad choice, though, either. Um, but I, I think that you, you look at the numbers and they speak for themselves. Uh, i, I got to go with Mahomes for that. But uh, still a lot to determine these final two weeks. I'll, I'll say this, Tom, one, one more thing in the MVP race. If the Chiefs don't blow it against the Chargers – and they win on that big stage on Thursday night football and lock up the AFC and all this, then Mahomes wins the MVP, and we're probably done with this discussion. I think that much like Tua Tunga-Viola did with the Heisman race in the SEC championship, Mahomes opened himself up uh, to possibly give this away by not sealing the deal against the Chargers last week. Yeah, I could agree with that. Yeah, he had the chance to close the door and, and obviously didn't, and it's not necessarily on him all the way. It's more so on the atrocious-ass Kansas City defense, and I think, you know, they did lose at home, but uh, going back to your point, I think that's why they have to have home field advantage. Uh, I mean, that sucks to say, but their defense is that bad. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I know the Chargers, I know the Chargers offense, Phillip Rivers is having a hell of a year, and what he's done is pretty damn good as well, but... Uh, I mean, you just don't give up 14 points in a two-point conversion in the last, what, four and a half, five minutes? Yeah, exactly. At home? Yeah, see, I mean, I get it. It happens. It happens to the best of us. The Spurs let Trace McGrady drop 13 points in however many seconds to come back whatever year that was. I mean, that doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes it does. Uh, and in this case, that opened the door wide open uh, when otherwise it would have been clear case it would have been Mahomes. Yeah. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. All right. A couple more things, then uh, we'll be done here. Let's uh, go ahead and get to our picks for this week. Tom, let's roll through these uh, real quickly here. Let's start out with the college football picks. Armed Forces Bowl. Houston takes on Army. Um, I, I feel like that would almost be a sin, like treason of so sorts, if you pick against Army in the Armed Forces Bowl. Army's a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Got to go with Army to cover this one. Yeah, it would be a sin to not pick Army here. And, and with the way they played, obviously, against OU this year, too, uh, i got to take Army by, you know, with the with the three and a half. It, it won't be pretty, um, but they'll win by a touchdown, no, probably. Yeah. Uh, Birmingham Bowl, uh, Memphis taking on Wake Forest. Uh, Memphis is a three and a half point favorite. Tom, you're, you're a big Memphis guy. Uh, you've been on this team. They've been playing really good football this year. Three-and-a-half-point favorite against Wake. Um, this, is a, this is a great opportunity. I know Wake's not you know, a great team by any means, but it would mean a whole lot for Memphis to get an ACC win at the end of this season. Yeah, I, I do think it would be huge for Memphis to get this win against an ACC opponent. And 
Uh, I, I think they will. I've been kind of keeping track on Memphis all season. I like what their offense is doing, and uh, I have no problems taking them here. Uh, buy the T-shirt for Tom. Three-and-a-half-point favorite for Memphis. Uh, Marshall taking on South Florida in the uh, Gaspel, Gaspel – uh, <laughs> I'm tripping over this. Gasparera Bowl. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can't say the bowl game, but uh, Marshall's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Tom, who you got, uh, South Florida or Marshall? I'll take uh, I'll take South Florida in this one. South Florida at two-and-a-half-point dog. I'll go with them as well. San Diego State and Ohio in the Frisco Bowl. This is the uh, granddaddy of them all. Everybody dreams of going to Frisco. Hey, we've been to Frisco several times. That's true. Uh, yeah. It's a nice town. It's not it's bad. Nice. Ohio's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, who, who are you going with, Tom? I'm going to go with San Diego State, honestly. I, I like what they've been doing. and They've kind of had a quieter year than they do usually, but I'll take them. Uh, I'll go with uh, San Diego State as well at a, a two-and-a-half-point underdog. Uh, last uh, college bowl game for you, the Bahamas Bowl. This is the bowl game I really want assigned, like, really badly. My buddy Brian Haney got this assignment a couple times, and I'm like, hey, you need a spotter or anything like that. Couldn't break through. Couldn't get there. Um, but uh, Florida International and uh, Toledo. Toledo, a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Tom, who are you going with? You know, I'll go Toledo in this one. It's a little high. I'm not necessarily super confident in this, but I'll take Toledo. Line's too high for me. I think uh, I think Toledo probably wins this game, but Florida International is going to be within that six-and-a-half-point margin. I'll go with them. Uh, let's move on to the National Football League. Uh, some really good games in the league this week. Steelers and Saints. Tom, this is a must-win game for the Steelers, and they're a, a six-point underdog going on the road to New Orleans. Yeah, they are, and and I do think it's a must-win as well. And like I said before, Steelers are playing really hot right now, but if this was in Pittsburgh, I'd be taking Pittsburgh. But, uh, you know, it's hard to win down in New Orleans, so I'll I'll roll with the Saints. Okay, okay. Um, I'm going to go with Pittsburgh. I don't know if they're going to win, but uh, I do like them within six uh, to keep it close anyway because they know the circumstance. They know they need to win this game. Uh, Pittsburgh's going to play hard right down the very end, but – uh, New Orleans is a better team right now. Chiefs and Seahawks must win game for both these teams. The Seahawks trying to keep their playoff hopes alive. The Chiefs trying to get home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Chiefs are a two-and-a-half point favorite. A lot on the line for both these teams, Tom. Something's got to give. Yeah, it does. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to go ahead and take the Chiefs here, but I would not be surprised if Seattle pulls this off. I'll go with the Chiefs as well at two and a half. Um, they're a good road team. They haven't been intimidated by the road atmospheres. I'll go with them uh, to get this one done, even in a hostile environment like Seattle. Houston taking on Philadelphia. Philadelphia, a two and a half point favorite. Tom, I'm going to ride with Nick Foles. I think that this team's totally different when Nick Foles is in charge, and uh, they looked really good against the Rams last week. Give me uh, the Eagles at home at two and a half. Who are you going with here? You know, I like the way the Texans have been playing, and, and I'm not sold on the Nick Foles thing just yet. Uh, I know they beat my Rams. Maybe I'm a little bitter, uh, but I'll take Texans. Well, and you, you've seen uh, – you saw enough of bad Nick Foles there in St. Louis. Yeah, I did. Probably too much. A <laughs> couple more games for you. Ravens and Chargers, uh, another must-win game for both these teams. 
Chargers are a four-and-a-half-point favorite. They are the home team, uh, if you want to call them that. They're in L.A., and uh, they're the four-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, are you going to ride with the uh, Chargers, Tom? You know, I will. I mean, I, I like how ballsy they were to go ahead and go for the two-point conversion and come away with it. And, you know, I like what the Ravens have been doing, too, but I, I think the Chargers will be too much. I think Anthony Lynn is the head coach that we all thought – Todd Bowles was going to be. Uh, I think we're looking at a superstar head coach in the making in Anthony Lynn, and they're playing really determined sound football right now. i got to go to the Chargers at four and a half. Last one, Vikings and Lions. The Vikings still have a shot at the postseason. The Lions are eliminated right now. The uh, Vikings a five-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Tom, I, I still can't figure out the Vikings. Uh, I mean, this team is up and down every single week. Yeah, neither can I, but hell, if they keep running Dalvin Cook, I, I think they cover this. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, at home against a lowly opponent, I'll take them at five and a half. Those are our picks for uh, this week. Currently right now, uh, Billy's back up to first place with a two-game lead on Tom and uh, then Derek's in third at 92 wins. Brian's at 84, and I'm at 80 on the year. Before we get out of here today, Tom, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week this week. And uh, we we look at one of our favorite coaches, and he's uh, not with us anymore. But, Tom, he, he may be doing just fine. Yeah, I think so. And, and and before we start this, Jones, I think he's probably one of the only coaches who could really pull this off and get away with it. Yes. Um, um, no one is going to be claiming uh, any uh, sexual harassment claims on this guy. No, obviously, no, there's no way. So, articles from Barstool Sports, it reads, Cliff Kingsbury reveals recruiting strategy. He flirts with the moms. Uh, in the sports world, you often hear about coaches and players wanting to keep their secrets close to their chest. Any advantage you can have in the uber-competitive NFL college football world you take advantage of. Think Billy Bean is going to put his saber metrics formula out there? No. There are exceptions, though. When an advantage is obvious, there's no point in keeping it close to your chest. Might as well brag about it. Example A, Cliff Kingsbury uses his looks to his advantage on the recruiting trail. Uh, a tweet from Chris Hummer. He said, Cliff Kingsbury, when asked on the Dan Patrick Show, on if he flirts with a recruit's moms, he said, I might just say, I see where your son gets his good looks from. You can't blame the guy. As Tony Damonto once said, you'll find out the game of life is in, uh, you find out life is a game of inches, so is football. The inches we need are everywhere around us. They're in every break of the game, every minute, every second. You know, what's an inch that counts? Flirting with a four-star recruit's mother. Everything matters when you're a recruiter. Just ask Lane Kiffin. He said, I look at assistant coaches' wives. It tells me if they are good recruiters or not. That's fair. Uh, Cliff may need to play up his charm while at USC. His last two classes at Tech ranked 72nd and 49th, according to 247 Sports. Although what isn't quantifiable to the public is his effect on boosters. If he can get boosters' wife on his side, that check is going to have a few more zeros at the end of it. We all know what makes the world go round in college football money. There's a lot of it in SoCal. Time to capitalize it on it, Cliff. Uh, Jones, you know, that's I'm cool with that. Uh, use what you got. Indeed, and I like the strategy. But at the same time, this could backfire in the sense of if a player said, 
Uh, Coach, uh, you're hitting on my mother. Um, like, the player could feel uncomfortable. I mean, it could make the mom push for it, but I could see where this also doesn't work in the same sense. You know, I could see that, too. I, I mean, any player from now on might think that, but, you know, going to Tech and going to USC is a few different things. Um you know, I, I mean, I think it would be kind of obvious you'd rather go to USC than Texas Tech. Doesn't Kingsbury Tech, belong just, in no. Los Angeles? Isn't this a beautiful fit? He really does. He really does. I mean, he doesn't belong in the West Texas sand dunes. He belongs on a beach somewhere hitting on hot moms. This is this is his calling is to get this opportunity. It, it really is. This is where he should be. Like, there's going to be new life. I, that offense, the Pac-12 defenses are terrible, even worse than the Big 12. Cliff Kingsbury is going to use that USC talent and just tear it up to shreds, um, and he might just take a mom or two home with him in the process. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he took a sister or two home at this point. If anybody is going to be taking family members, like my bet's on Cliff Kingsbury. I'm not attracted to males, but if I were, um, Cliff Kingsbury would be somebody that like I might admire in that way, Tom. I mean, you can't lie that he's a good-looking guy. I mean, I, I mean, I can't lie. I mean, he is. I mean, it's just kind of known around the uh, around the college football world that. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt if the, uh, you know, the cheerleaders check him out, or you know, if you're gonna go to Tech or you're gonna go to SMU or TCU, you know, or are you gonna go? Nah, I probably shouldn't say that. They probably go wherever the more there's more money offered. But uh, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't doubt that the cheerleaders check him out or make comments. I mean, I think that's fair to say. Doesn't this feel like Tom? that Cliff Kingsbury was sent out to Los Angeles to go find that, you know, that model, or maybe she's a mom even, that's, you know, a 10, and then, like, he's going to go back and take her to, you know, some small-town America um, and just, like, shred to pieces and, like, restore his career. It feels like that he's going out to Los Angeles not only to have fun to, but, but, like, to complete himself uh, to take that next step as, an, as a head coach is to find that soulmate and what better place to do it than, you know, on the shores of Huntington Beach. Yeah, maybe so. It's like a jacked-up, uh, odd college football version of The Bachelor. Yes. Yes, it is. I, get, I mean, I'm surprised. He, well, no, just because of how much money he makes and who he is. Uh, but if he, if he wasn't a coach, if he hadn't made all this money and people didn't know who he was, he would be on The Bachelor. Oh, wouldn't he? Oh, 100%. yeah. No doubt about oh, it. Oh, 100%. He, he would do it. Um, if he, he should have. Here's what he should have done if he played his cards right, Tom, is he should have sat out a year and gone on The Bachelor, and then come back to coach. You enjoy that buyout from Texas Tech for a bit, go on The Bachelor, to me, that would have been great. I'm surprised he didn't do that. I mean, I could I could definitely see him on The Bachelor, or, you know, maybe he's on like a, you know, maybe that's what he's out doing right now uh, in L.A. I'm, I'm sure that if some girls saw him on Tinder, that they would be swiping right, like, I mean, that would be like, I don't know, if you saw a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader on Tinder, 
even if you thought you had no chance with her on Tinder when you were in Dallas, you're going to swipe right. Okay, here's a question for you. If you were a betting man, would you bet that Cliff Kingsbury has slept with one of his recruits' moms, yes or no? Oh, um, like maybe Mahomes' mom or something like that? Oh, my gosh. You know, maybe so. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. How if you had to put money is. on it one way or the other, let's say the line is even, 50-50, what are you going to bet? I'm going to bet he has not. Okay. Okay. Just, be, just because I think there's so much else out there probably for him. Right. He, he doesn't need. Right. He doesn't that. need that. I, I'm going to agree with you in that sense because he doesn't need to. Um. If he were just an average now, guy. Now, if it was to, like, lock up a recruit, like a five-star QB, and if the mom said, like, for sure sleep with me and you'll get my son on your team, maybe. I don't know. Do you, I mean, I have no idea. I mean, desperate times equal desperate measures in love. And he practice. is a single man. Like, that changes everything, too. Yeah, it's not like he's married or has a girlfriend. Like, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a whole different ballgame. Uh, we'll leave it on that note. Uh, let you decide. We report. You decide. Would Cliff Kingsbury sleep with a recruit's mom? You, it's up to you. Dude. We're not casting any judgment. I'll leave that up to you guys to figure out. Big thanks to Caden McFarland for joining us. Check him out on uh, Channel 2 in Tulsa. He does great work out there, and uh, we appreciate him stopping by. Appreciate you, the listener, for joining us as well. Follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group, uh, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at TJ Media Group, at Thomas underscore Bridges. And uh, subscribe to the show, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. We want five or nothing. And uh, we will see you right back here next week. Hope you have a great Christmas, and uh, we'll get you ready for that college football playoff right here on next week's show. For Thomas Bridges, Caden McFarland, I'm Tyler Jones saying so long. Have a great week, everybody. Merry Christmas. Jones report. F- yeah.